Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. Welcome to the year-end episode of TV Gold. I'm James Manning from Media Week. Joining me every week to talk about television is Andrew Mercado. And Andrew, we do have a special guest. Yes, we time. do. We look like we're going to be doing two final episodes of the year. The first one, we're going to be looking at basically the Australian series. And gee, there was a lot of them this year. We'll be talking about also some of the biggest stories of the year. And then in the second episode, we'll talk about international um, television, and that will include docos, both Aussie and international. But look, let's introduce our special guest coming back to Media Week after Quite a long break, I must say. We've decided to let him back on the airwaves. TV tonight, founder, uh, editor, man in charge, David Knox. Welcome back. Guys, it's been a while. Was it something I said? I don't <laughs> it's good to be back. Thank you. At least we remember you at the end of the year. It's the end of the year. Quick, get Noxie on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm I'm always listening to your podcast as I'm out walking, and sometimes feeling very inadequate that you see so much, particularly in the in the dark drama sphere. So I've got, I've got a good idea of what you might be listing, but um, uh, there, your podcast with with a name change, I think you've had had this year too, right? Yeah, I think we flipped it over from memory mid year or yeah. about after the first third of the year. Went from what was it, Mercado and Manning to TV Gold, with a new theme tune to match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't mention the theme tune. All right, I'm I'm happy with it. Hey, um, listen, we better get cracking because there's a lot to get through. Um, lots of I mean we had just on um the shows of the week that Andrew and I did. There's probably I think about seventy five shows of the week because we agreed. I realised about half of the time. And we picked other ones the other top part of the time. But we won't talk about those today. Well, we'll put them up online um, later on, and I'll provide a, a link in the um, in the notes for this episode when we do that. But I think we'll start off with uh, Andrew's going to tell us his best Aussie series of the year. And I think he's divided them into a couple of different categories, and uh, David and I might butt in now and then with a comment. Okay, so yeah, I have split my Australian dramas and comedies into two uh, categories um, because I think that 2023 will be remembered as the year that we really gave priority to female-driven stories, and that's uh, women's stories and women behind the scenes as well. Um, so maybe we should start with them first because, look, literally, I reckon that was about 50% of the Australian-made shows this year. So I'm going to start with my favourite, and my favourite of these shows was The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, which screened on Prime. I just thought it was uh, so beautifully done and, and, you know, it had such tough messages in there of domestic violence. But, you know, they 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 surrounded that with such beautiful shots of that flower farm and actors like Sigourney Weaver and Leah Purcell. And I just thought that really made it its, its own beautiful show that elevated it above the rest. Yeah, no, good choice. And I think we did a special episode during the year on that program, didn't we? And 
we were very impressed with the special effects and you and I were talking about going up to the Northern Territory to try and find that crater where they were filming only to find out what well, doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, digitally created. They totally fooled me. So, yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, although I suspect if I look at uh, the shows that just missed out on being my favourite show, that a lot of people are going to name Deadlock as their favourite Australian comedy of the year. I saw huge reactions to that on social media. There's a huge fan base for the two cakes. Uh, and, look, Deadlock was great on Prime Video. I don't know. I still had some problems with that Darwin detective, uh, <laughs> the acting and the characterization. It kind of ruined those first episodes for me, so that's why it's not at the top of my list. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I, I, I started out loving Deadlock, uh, and I know that a lot of people who stayed to the end, which I was not one of them, uh, really felt that it paid off. But, but I agree once that character came in i thought her acting style was just another show altogether yeah you know and for me i think i called it a a um a deal breaker of a character because i persisted i really tried i thought okay this is gonna pay off but maybe it did pay off i don't know i just didn't get to the end because of that character which is a shame because everything else i really liked about deadlock now, the other show I really liked was Bay of Fires, which was Marta Dusseldorp really trying a change of pace here and, and not playing the cool, calm, sophisticated character she always plays. And, yes, we were heading into that here's a weird Aussie small town vibe again, but I thought that the premise behind it, which seemed really weird to begin with, it was like when they finally revealed what was going on halfway through, I thought, yeah, wow, I've never seen that in a show before. So I give them points for that. Another show I really liked uh, was on Stan Black Snow, which was set in a North Queensland town. And, you know, there was a high school, there was a time capsule being pulled out of the ground that had clues about a girl that had gone missing years before. I thought they did that really well. Um, I really liked While the Men are away on SBS, who are revisionist queer, uh, I guess it was almost comedy, comedy drama. Look, by the time it got to the end, I thought, wow, that's really silly. None of that would have ever really happened. But it didn't mean I, I didn't enjoy it. I thought the performances were great and, and I thought they did some really great period recreation, considering that we know that SBS shows, they don't have a lot of budget, do they? Yeah, the I remember the colour in that show. And the production design in that show was, as you refer to, was, was you know, really be, it looked like it was beyond the budget that they had for that show. So uh, I agree with you. I thought that was a, a, you know, it's been a good year, I think, for dramas on SBS and, and I'll be coming to some of those shortly. And James, that's actually a location you can go to. I remember you watching the first episode and going, where's that beautiful little town with the lovely railway station? That is actually something you could take a trip to. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, that that's that's actually in my um, ten of the year, I think. Yeah, that is. Yep, 
Yeah, wow. Now, another show I really liked was Paper Dolls on Paramount. We're only four episodes in. The fifth one's about to end. I thought it's, uh, you know, it's set 20 years ago, but I, it's really going there in terms of, uh, you know, how these young girls are exploited for pop music. I, I'm, I was kind of a little bit taken aback at how far they are going there, but, wow, I, I really give them props for actually going there. And then, and then I also love the one-off telly movie, Melanie Tate's play that became a telly movie on 10, The Appleton Ladies Potato Race. I thought that was a real throwback to like uh, the era of a country practice where you actually had a lovely country town. And yeah, there were a couple of uh, guys in that town that were a bit behind the times, but it was beautifully done. And you loved that one, didn't you, James? Yeah, I was a big fan of that one. Claire Vanderboom, I think, was the um, standout for me, and that was a great supporting cast too. But another reason I really liked this was made by a former head of publicity, Andrea yeah. Keir. She worked for Channel 9 for a long time, head of publicity, worked for them over in LA, then had her own career in uh, LA. She's moved back to Australia. So, yeah, I just really – I just loved the little – sort of hometown, villagey feel that, that the, the movie exuded. Um, I think it could have done really well, but it just didn't get the publicity or any PR, I don't think. It just seemed to pop up without too much, um, too much, yeah, not time to really build anticipation. I remember you boys <clears throat> both saying that that was one that you felt could be expanded into a series to spend more time with those characters, and that was a thought that I had when I was watching um, Joan's Family Christmas. I thought there's another place, another town, and another set of characters. I don't know whether that one's on your list at all, Andrew. Yeah, look, um, I'm moving down the list. If I just, before we leave the female-driven stories, we should also mention some of the other shows that were pretty good. Well Mania, starring Celeste Barber, written by Benjamin Law on Netflix, sadly not being renewed for a second series. Even though we've now seen data around the audience that they had for that show. It's it's yeah. a very strange decision by Netflix who said, because I asked them, why are you not renewing? And they said, no, they were a bit evasive at the time, but they said, well, we always look at cost versus viewing. Well, now we know the viewing was pretty good. So yeah. I don't know where that leaves the cost factor um, or whether it's something per episode that we're just not across the detail of that. What what I think to see that data, they don't give you any guidance. They just give you the raw data. And what I've discovered talking to some streamers over the years is a lot of people might start a series, but then yep. they'll drop out very quickly. So I'm guessing that's what happened here. Um, she would have had a huge following who'd be interested in that series. So yep. I'm not surprised it did very well, but I bet the drop off was quite dramatic. I know right. I didn't get past episode one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another show I want to mention was Safe Home on SBS, which David might be alluding to. You know, it's, it's one of my strongest memories of 2023. When I think of all the shows I see, I can see Janet Andrewatha playing yeah. that that older uh, wife of an absolute pig of a man that was locking her out of the house at night and coerc coercive control and the sense of dread that was building as to what might happen to her. I couldn't wait for her to escape. She was living in her car for a while and I, it just really, really looms large for me in my memory. Do you agree, David? 
Totally. It, look, it, it's on my list. So uh, I'm crossing off <laughs> titles <laughs> on my list pretty quickly here. Um, but yeah, I, I also have Safe Home. I think of the 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 pretty good um, dramas that SBS have done this year that Safe Home is the pick of the bunch. Um, that opening pretty much at the top of the episode one scene where I th- where the young um, lawyer, I think she was, or, or learning about being a lawyer, was she not? Or was she? Oh, I think she wasn't. She starting work in a sort of a public relations capacity with this form of legal yeah. aid people. And she anyway. So she she walks into that family court and she uh, she says hello to someone, just a a guy in in the in the public room there, and then realizes. Of course, she's let she's inadvertently let someone into the family court who's about to cause violence. I thought that was a was a was a real moment in that to crystallise what that show was about. Yeah, um, but but definitely the character of Janet Andrew Walther also jumps out at me as just. And I hope I don't think she's been nominated as she for any awards for that. She should be. We should be doing more. I think for the supporting actors. Yeah. In, in our drama show, so so yeah, a great show, and I think it was the first drama by Imogen Banks Kindling Pictures, also. Yeah, good point, and I agree with you. I think sometimes with supporting actors, they go for big name actors that sometimes might only be in a show for five minutes, rather than actually looking at who delivered great performances. Couple more shows I should mention under this banner of female-driven stories. Totally, completely fine on Stan, which was the story of the young girl who inherited her grandfather's house, which was on a kind of a famous suicide spot in Sydney, and it became her job to talk people into not taking their lives. I really laughed at Gold Diggers on the ABC uh, with Megan Wilding doing that French accent. I I laughed at that. Queen of Oz, um, Catherine Tate coming out to Australia. There were some nice moments in there. And One Night, Paramount Plus, uh, which was set on the South Coast. Look, it was good, but I just felt that it was very samey-samey compared to everything else. And that's what I want to say about these female-driven stories as we go into the future. We are in danger. I think it's great that we're getting a new viewpoints, but I think they're in some of them are in danger of covering the same ground and being a bit similar to the ones before it. The two shows I really didn't like in this genre, though, were um, Class of 07 on Prime, which was the girls having a high school reunion and the tidal wave cut them off from the rest of the world. They're on top of a mountain. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> and Strife uh, on Binge with Asha Ketty, it just hasn't gotten there. I watched one more episode, episode five, to find out if I liked it anymore. I don't. So, yeah. So that's it for, in terms of my female-driven stories. Have, have I forgotten any? Uh, probably, but <laughs> nothing <laughs> Nothing cries out at me. I mean, I, I think you, you've got, um, yeah, no, that's a really good coverage, you know. The show that doesn't seem to fit anywhere and is a little bit female-orientated, of course, was the remake of Mother and Son. And it's a remake that I thought was, look, they tried their best. I don't think they actually got there with it. But have we heard? Is it coming back for a second season? Yes, it is coming back. Um, ABC said to me, look, the numbers were, they would have liked the numbers to have been better. I think that it started, the numbers started out well. And then we we saw a bit of a drop off. I think most people, I don't know, I feel like most people 
feel like Denise Scott did a really good job in her role. But I don't know, was it funny? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what I struggled with was this, and I, I guess it was a choice for them to move from comedy to dramedy, I suppose, if I'm being generous. Um, but you, but therein you've got the result. You've called this mother and son, so people have an expectation yeah. of being, you know, the, the traditional sitcom was, you know, three-camera, a, a multi-camera situation with a studio audience, which pretty much, going back to Jeffrey Atherton's style of, um, you know, get, getting a joke pretty much in every three three lines. Yeah. And, I wasn't laughing enough in this for it to work for me. And I agree with you. I thought Denise Scott did a really great job, but she she didn't get to that incredible level that Ruth Cracknell had because I think Ruth Cracknell's Maggie Beer, you never actually knew whether or not she was losing it because of dementia or whether or not she was being sly and sneaky. And Denise Scott went for a broader view of, oh, she's just a shit stirrer because she's an old hippie from the 70s, and it lost that nuance for me. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I might look at some of the other shows outside that genre that I liked. And look, my favorite Aussie drama comedy of the year was Caught on Stan, the hostage video satire starring Sean Penn as Sean Penn, written, directed, and produced by Kit Gurry, an incredible cast in there, Ben O'Toole, Eric Thompson. Look, it was a massive cast. I thought they they really, really pulled it off. It made me laugh so hard. So that's my number one Aussie drama of the year. The other ones that I think are really important to mention, that the top five after that was the second series of The Newsreader on ABC. Yes. Fantastic. Australian Epic on ABC, the telling funny moments in Australian history with mad musical numbers. That Princess Mary episode, I've watched it three times. It makes me laugh so hard that they're singing a romantic love song about meeting in a bar that smells like piss. I mean, only the chaser could write a line of dialogue like that in a soppy song, so I love that. Um, Look, I'm loving The Artful Dodger on Disney+. Plus. It hasn't finished yet, but wow, what a incredible concept uh, to bring characters from Oliver Twist and set them in Australia. It's working really well for me. Colin from Accounts on Binge, uh, you know, just storming up the charts all around the world. A rom-com with a difference. Harriet Dye and Patrick Bramall. I love most things that they do. Huge success to them for what they did. And look, I'm going to give it as, as predictable a shout out to Neighbours for coming back. It was slow to get off the ground, but wow, when it hit its stride, it was as good as when it went off the air. So they're my top five. The ones I want to give honourable mention to that some of you might put higher up your list is uh, 10 Pound Poms on Stan, which, David, you just uh, said the other day, you th- you are saying that yeah. you think it's going, coming for a second season? Yes, I have it on good authority. Stan, Stan, not prepared to go there yet, but right. take it from me that there will be shooting in the new year. Look, I do agree with some of the critics of 10 Pound Poms that there were some things in there that weren't quite right. I think they need a little bit 
work on those scripts. You could honestly just have a couple of lines for some of these situations to make that show a bit more believable. But I still really liked it. I liked the performances. Um, I loved the second series of Love Me on Binge. Um, I thought In Our Blood, the AIDS musical done on ABC from Hoodlum Entertainment was good. Scrublands on Stan, uh, the one with Jay Ryan, the priest that shoots people in his congregation, a good murder mystery there. And the Claremont murders on Seven, very predictable by the numbers stuff and, you know, starring a, a news reporter from Channel Seven as the hero of the piece, please. But look, they, they, they did a good job there. The ones that really left me cold, and this is not because I thought they were badly made, but they're just not my thing, is NCIS Sydney and The Last King of the Cross, both on Paramount Plus, but both hugely successful. And I assume uh, they're doing a second series of Last King of the Cross uh, and NCIS Sydney appears to be doing amazing, right? So far, I think, yeah. Yeah, I, I think both of those have been pretty well made, even though I didn't really know why we were having a new John Abraham drama, but I, I thought they did a, 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 a good job. Uh, so, yes, they're doing a second season of that. And I think NCIS is is holding up that brand pretty well that I would not be surprised. I mean, interestingly, James, they only went for eight, like eight episodes of that, right, instead of the normal 22, but the, the strikers favoured that show's uh, launch in the US. Yeah, I, I, there was a lot of hype, wasn't there, about how well that first episode did in the US. I must say, I haven't seen follow-up numbers. I'm not sure if they've they've kept up to what that was. But if they had, I'm I'm probably a bit surprised they haven't announced some more episodes yet. Yeah. But maybe they'll save that for early in the new year. I'm not sure. Well, at the moment, they've still got bragging rights of being the biggest new show on American freeway TV for this fall set fall season. So you know. Should we talk, have I left anything off? Does anyone have something on those lists, Australian, that I've left off? There's a couple of, I'm going to go to a couple of uh, the worst shows of the year, but have I left any of the best shows off? I guess are we only doing dramas here? Like, you know, I, I think we should mention what um, SBS did for Alone Australia. Yes. Yes, yeah. reality, yep. They did an amazing yeah. job, right? Yeah, a really, a really... Uh faithful and authentically Australian version of that show. Um, so no surprise that that's coming back for a second season and SBS all constantly talking about how, that, you know, they talk about how it's their biggest commission. I kind of feel like I, I don't want to underplay how well it did and deservedly so, but when we talk about actual commissions over the life of broadcasters, we've just got to be a little bit careful that we're comparing oranges with oranges. Because now we have these time-shifted numbers, the catch-up, right, the extra platforms and things are played out on, which you didn't have all those years ago when we were doing things like um, go back to where you came from, for instance, and and and, and then a number of other original commissions that also did brilliantly. But, look, no question alone, Australia was great. Um, I'd like to mention um, RFDS. I think that is a beautifully produced show. Thank you. Uh, I forgot that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, for, for me, it's just, you know, it's it's Crawford Productions in 2023. And I say that by saying it really adheres to the warmth of the and, the and the heroic characters that you would have in those traditional Crawford's um 
broadly appealing shows, but they do it so well and, and making it modern as well at the same yeah. time with the diversity. And and this is on, you know, a, a, a free-to-air broadcaster like Seven. I think that's fantastic. Um, five Bedrooms, I think it was probably their final season on Paramount+, Plus, but that is always a watchable show, a, 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 a fantastic cast there. Um, and if that show does not come back, which I suspect is is the case. Um, it ended it, it ended it in a in a in a, in a terrific way. I think. Um, I also want to mention the backside of television. It's not yes, drama. Yes, yes. But it's not drama. But every time that Mitch McTaggart is doing a season, I'm there for it. As anybody listening to your podcast should be. It always makes me feel inadequate that he's going and finding all these great stories from across the year. And we should mention, of course, he's doing the last year of television um, on December 28th on um, Binge. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm always constantly blown away by the stories that he uncovers in this TV history, long forgotten, that was going on and I wasn't even aware of it. And I just sit there going, well, how did you find this out, Mitch McTaggart? It's amazing. So, yeah, I absolutely love that. And, you know, thanks for mentioning Five Bedrooms. It did have a great uh, end, if that's the end. And in terms of the diversity on RFDS too, I'd like to say too that what's really great about that is that diversity is not shoved into that show just because they're trying to do. That's what Broken Hill is like today. I went to yeah. Broken Hill this year and it's incredible to see the way that they have embraced things that would have been unthinkable you know, back in the day when, you know, the men drank beer because the water was so awful. So everyone was drunk and fighting all the time. It's, you know, that is a, that all that diversity in RFDS is organic and they do it really well. So, and, you know, my friend from Canada just uh, emailed me last night going, I'm so excited. RFDS, the second series is about to begin in Canada. So again, like the Flying Doctors, it's got its yeah. fans overseas. Okay, good. So does that cover you too, David? For yeah, pretty much. I mean, my other my other shows were, you know, were Bay of Fires and Um Safe Home in Our Blood, Artful yes. Dodger, Scrublands, uh, Lost Flowers of Al's Heart, all on my list. Um, so yeah, that that uh, there there are some docos that I want to mention, but we'll do that uh, for the next podcast. Okay. All right. Look, I'll quickly fire through mine. I think I'll, I'll just give the list and a, a quick reason why I really liked it. Um, but now I've, I've played with the rules a little bit. I've actually got a list of 10, but the one of them's a tie, so there's 11 shows. <laughs> one of them's actually a New Zealand show, but, hey, it's part of Australia, right? So it's True, okay. true. According to Actor, it sure is. <laughs> and I think one of them is an English production, but it was filmed largely in Australia. So I'm bending the rules. Okay. The top of my oh, these aren't in any real order, but I find Scrublands is the one I thought of first. Um, I thought it was just brilliant. Jay Ryan's almost my actor of the year because he's in two of the shows on this list. I think he did such a good job. Bella Heathcote was great. Uh, Luke Arnold was really wonderful playing the journalist, um, visiting this little country town. Uh, produced by Easy Tiger, who were really on a roll this year. They had some. Very prolific, and a lot of them were really good series, so they're doing really well. Um, I really loved One Night, too. I know Andrew was sort of a little bit so-so on it. Um, Nicole De Silva, uh, Jodie Whittaker, another Easy Tiger. Last King of the Cross, so that made my top ten. 
I really did enjoy that from um, Mark Fennessy's new production company, Helium. I guess it's not that new. It's been around a while. This was their first big production that they put on here. Uh, Lincoln, is it Younes or Eunice? Lincoln Eunice. Eunice, We're pronouncing his name wrong, yeah. And one of my favourites, Callan Mulvey. He was in this too. I really love his work, but I enjoyed that. I stayed all the way through. And I believe Last King of the Cross was originally pitched as three series. So if the second series does well, I'm pretty sure it'll be back for a third. So they'll really be milking that uh, that story. Got to, got, to justi- got to justify that set, that they built, <laughs> which was an amazing set. I went to that set. I stood right. on that street that they built out there, and uh, I think it's like the – what's the water park out in the west? Western Sydney out somewhere. Western Wild? Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they just built this whole streetscape. Uh, like an old Hollywood set, really. So mm. obviously it costs quite a bit to do, but but uh, you can amortise it, if that's the word, by putting it through other seasons. And yet the second series of Last King of the Cross has got my attention because it's about John Abraham's move into gay nightclubs in Oxford yeah. Street. So we're moving a little bit away from the Golden Mile of King's Cross and going into um, the gay nightclubs uh, in the 90s, which he, he famously owned DCM. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see how they do that. I think we've both danced there at one stage. Or <laughs> yes, more than once. Okay, Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, yes. Uh, is it Alicia Debnan Carey? Was uh, brilliant in that, I thought. Uh, Leah Purcell again, too. Everything she does is brilliant, you know. You see her in the cast, you know you're going to get quality. Uh, the Appleton Ladies Potato Race, previously mentioned. Now, what, one of my sort of imports was No Escape on Paramount+. Plus. That was uh, Jay Ryan. I think it was probably really a UK production. Uh, Abigail Laurie, another of my favourite actresses, she was in that too, uh, in the lead. She's fantastic. But just about this boat, um, boat when it crew went up through Asia and um, there were some drugs involved, there was murder. And it was a real mystery in a, in a, a boat that uh, just turned up floating in the sea. It was, uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Didn't get, hardly got any publicity here when they just seemed to pop up, and um, but it did well. Um, Far North was my Kiwi show that I that I've put in the Aussie one. I I like that so much. Uh, Robin uh, Malcolm and Tamura Morrison. Yeah, the, the thing that really did it for me was the quirky Kiwi actors playing all those sort of um, <laughs> characters who were the, trying to smuggle these drugs. So funny. I know that you are both big fans of Robin Malcolm, as am I, and I'm here to tell you there is a new series that ABC has got with Robin Malcolm because I saw it teased in the upfront showreel. Uh I'm I'm struggling to think of the name of it, but I guess if you go to IMDb, it will be there as as an upcoming project. Yes, please. I just should mention on Far North too, South Pacific Pictures, but a guy called David White, I think he wrote it, he directed it, and I think he... Um, produced it as well, or executive produced it. So uh, an amazing uh, performance from him there. Uh, While the Men Were Away, yeah, look, I loved that. I think it was Arcadia Pictures, and if I'm not wrong, they're based in Orange, which is where I filmed it. So I love it that a regional um, production yes. company can have such a hit in sort of what's their their hometown, if you like. Um, Black Snow, which I nearly forgot about, but I think it was in January. It uh, was. Year. It came out very early in the year. Travis Fimmel was fantastic, Goalpost Television. And the last, oh, no, actually, the, um, 
Yeah, yeah, the last one in my top 10, Bay of Fires. Uh, again, Martel Dusseldorp, one of my favourite guys, Toby Leonard Moore, um, just excellent. Well, while we're talking about Fires, I'm glad you've circled back to that because I do want to talk briefly about the supporting cast for that show. Like the the ensemble in that show was just such a knockout. You you know, seeing Pamela Rabe and and Ros Hammond walking down the street with their pink truffles was fantastic. (laughs) Kerry Fox was mesmerising as as Frankie. Um, And I also want to mention the kids in that show uh, I'm not going to pronounce them right, but Ava Karifalis, I believe, was Iris. And Emmy Mabedla, I think it might be. Wow, where has he come from? What a performance he's made. Now, there are names that should be, if if justice is done, um, on Logie's lists next year as new talent, right? Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's not always steer towards people hosting reality shows or public Panel shows. It's let's look at the actors that are yes. rising up through the ranks because they're the ones that are still going to be here in ten years' time. Thank you for saying that. I couldn't agree more. And listen, I've just realised I left one great show off my list. James, you jogged my memory. You said not sure if it's an English. And I went, hang on a second. North Shore on ten oh. with Joanne Froggart as the conservative politician and John Bradley as uh, the cop investigating a murder. That was terrific. And they should do a second series of that And because John Bradley's character is now living in Australia. He was fantastic. Okay. Now, look, just before you get to some of the stories of the year, David, just yep. when I looked at my list, I looked at four of the ten were on Paramount+. Plus. So I think they're doing something right, in, for, for me anyway, in terms of what they're commissioning. They're actually ordering really good stuff. Uh, I think we, I think we would say most improved. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's a there's a real argument there that you know you should have a subscription to Paramount Plus if you can pick up a deal. I know they've done a half price offer in the past, or you can do a, a cheaper package over a year, or if you bundle it, sometimes you get a discount through people who are doing bundles, and that's something we'll hear more about next year. But yeah, big big ups to Paramount Plus. Hey, is this the new home of Australian drama? Oh, controversial. <laughs> you look at Stan well, pumping out Bump and yeah. all the rest they do. Yeah, I was going to also say Stan, Stan continue, you know, Nine doesn't do a lot in terms of drama, but their their spend, it's still as as a broadcaster is still being spent and it's clearly going a lot to Stan. So, uh, yeah, I think Stan would, would have a pretty good argument for, for that crown, the title of that crown as well. Okay, look, let's wrap up this first part of our um, 2023 year in review. Noxie, give us some of your biggest stories of the year. Hang on, we haven't done the worst dramas of the year yet. Real quick, my favourite thing to do. Okay. The worst dramas of the year were the clearing on Disney+, Plus, which was that cult of the family, that weird family that lived in Victoria. Honestly, it dragged on for eight hours. It was the most miserably depressing thing that added (laughs) nothing new to that story. Disney+, Plus wasted their money making that. The um, Now, hang on. The year of... Year of on Stan, which was a spin off of Bump about other kids in that school. What was the point of that show? It was terrible, but nothing was as bad as warning. The <laughs> biopic on Nine that was rushed with nothing new to say 
What a disaster that was. The family didn't want it to be made. No one sat down and thought, is there actually something new we can say with this? It was just one of those, by the numbers, let's recreate this bit and this scandal, this romance. It was it was just terrible. Yeah, I don't think it matters if the family wanted it made or not. I mean, you know, too but, bad. You know, if, you'd, if you'd sat down and spent some time with the family, but Warney, there's a, there's a Warney biopic there, but it's not covering his entire life. You have yeah. to find something in there and do that in depth. And that's yeah. where I think if the family are involved in, in uh, shows like this, they can go, look, one of the really interesting things about this is the backstory, and that's what would have made it a great show. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 I'm with you on, on that point that... You know, I'm mindful of things like there was a recent Judy Garland movie, which was just about one time she was performing in England. And there was uh, going much further back now, there was, I remember the Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor um, tally movie that was done uh, with Dominic West and Helena Bonham Carter. Also, just on a period in their life, you can, you, you know, you don't need to do. You know, I remember Nine talking about, oh, Cradle to Grave. You don't need to do Cradle to Grave in order to give us the spirit of the person and a satisfying piece of entertainment for, you know, two hours, four hours. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Last attempt at trying to get Noxie to give his biggest stories (laughs) of the year. Okay, so this is, uh, James, you asked me to give you a a sense of the story of the year um, category that I've got currently running in the voting, which plug, plug, people can vote for in the TV Tonight Awards at the moment. Um, This is is where I often, you know, ask people to just um, tell us what was was the the one story um, that you feel was the biggest uh, for better or worse, okay. um, I should add. Um, and among, and I give them a range of topics, and I'll give those to you now, and you can feel free to weigh in. Uh, one of those is uh, happening as we record this podcast, which is the the Channel Ten versus Bruce Lerman trial. At the moment, we want to be careful what we say, of course. So maybe I'll move on quickly. <laughs> um, the U.S. strikes, the actors' strikes, and the writers' strike. Huge impact. Um, on production, more so in the, over there, obviously, and we are going to see a very long tail on that on those two strikes about what we get to watch in 2024 and beyond. I would suggest. Um, I, I think we would need to mention the World Cup ratings for the FIFA Women's World Cup, sensationally record-breaking ratings, of course, for that. Um, um, I often would look at. Um, you know, the people that we've lost over the year. Um, difficult to pull out a few names, but I will. Um, the loss of Brian Walsh is is clearly significant. The death of Barry Humphreys, also something that's happening today as we record this, um, in, in terms of the uh, state memorial that's happening. Um, the unexpected, very tragic passing of Jock Roncillo and um, Cal Wilson. Um, and then, of course, we lost Johnny Ruffo as well um, after, you know, his recent struggles. Um, in terms of international deaths, the, the the only one I think really, I don't know, I really saw a reaction to this one, which was the death of Matthew Perry. Yeah. I think with that, it was kind of like people felt like because it was, you know, the friends 
We're losing our friends, right? We're losing these people that we watched and on television for all this time. It was it was almost like we lost a little bit of our youth with the passing, I think, of Matthew Perry. And I think, I don't know whether any of you have yet watched Leave the World Behind, the, the new movie on Netflix with Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke. And the little girl in that is obsessed with friends. And that this is part of the friends story today. The kids are binging that show and watching it and loving it. Uh, and looking back on it as nostalgia in, in a similar way that, you know, once people were sort of looking back and watching the Brady Bunch and there's an old sitcoms from the 60s. There's a special place now for certain 90s sitcoms like uh, How I Met Your Mother and, you know, Brooklyn 999. And the kids are really into it and they love Friends. And it's a major plot point of Leave the World Behind. And maybe we can talk about that, James, in our first podcast of new shows in 2024. Sure, sure. Um, just a couple of other quick ones. Um Dr. Chris Brown, of course, leaving Channel 10 and going to 7 was pretty significant. Um, I don't know that we ever really got to the bottom of that story. It felt to me like, yeah, well, what did 10 really have for him? They had the jungle. That's three weeks a year, right? I mean, what else work was he being offered? Um, The other big significant departure was Stan Grant leaving ABC um, with some very pointed comments about, um, media and online racism. Um, later in the year, we had the prominence fight. You know, it's, it's really sort of in the background that not a lot of people really understood, but um, has become a, a bigger story, I think, towards the back of the year in terms of what, where Sorry, can you explain what prominence means? Are you talking yes. about where the apps are on new TVs that are being yes. sold? Yes, it's where the apps sit on um, on the new TVs that we, you know, when you purchase them. And you know, you know, and I, I, I think about my parents who struggle to find, you know, whether it's a Netflix or or an iView on their um, TV. They're frequently, uh, you know, you become sort of the instant help desk, David. You know, um, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but but that fight is really a really about the free to air um, apps as I say, being SBS on demand and iView and, and all of them, um, being being uh, somewhere where people can find them easily because what happens, and I didn't know really know much about this, but there's a lot of money I think that's being spent between these big corporations to place those um, other um, streamers and, and Google and all of those sorts of things on the – home screens of the television when you buy them. And it doesn't just boil down to, oh, well, you can just move it if you want to. Yes, you can. But interestingly, this is one of the rare things that both sides are agreed upon is that people don't know how to move the apps. And nobody is suggesting in any of this fight that consumers should not still be able to move those apps around. So it's not like if the free-to-air side wins the, the battle, which I think they will, it's not, it's not like you won't be able to move those if you don't want them. But there are other much subtler things going on, guys, in terms of when you search. If you search for Bluey, does that automatically bring up um, iView and show you Bluey? No, it doesn't always. It might take you to YouTube. It might take you to where you have to pay to watch Bluey on, on, on another platform. It might take you to merchandise. If you search for the Olympics, it might bring you something else other than bringing you, you know, seven who've, who've had it recently or nine who's 
going to have it next year. So there's a lot there's a lot of money at stake in this, and that is why it's one of the biggest stories of the year. And, and sorry, the dismal failure of Blow Up, a reality show about balloons, isn't one of the biggest stories of the year. Was there a bigger bomb all year than uh, who thought that we should do a reality show about blowing up balloons? I mean, that, it just goes to show you how low reality TV keeps sinking in terms of trying to discover new formats. Well, look, I, I'm glad you asked. I do have a separate list, which I'll keep brief, but I do have a biggest blunder of the year <laughs> awards, which uh, a number of shows I've thrown in for, for readers to, to choose. Uh, there's Blow Up, there's Big Brother, there's Million Dollar Island, there's Rush and The Bachelors, which is on 10 at the moment. Um, amongst the other blunders I'm suggesting, um, <laughs> Kerry Ann Kennelly in the jungle failing to eat and having that, you know, that fight that she had on screen was terrible to watch. Um, Kamal back flipping on his position on the voice referendum. Um, the Idol, James, I know one of your favourite shows, the American show, The Idol. No, I've got that on the blunder of the list. Um, yeah, uh, ABC King's coronation coverage attracted a lot of criticism. Um, Daryl Summers auctioning the, the, lo- the gold Loki and then deciding to sue Channel 7. I thought that was an interesting move. But look, so, yeah, both of those categories people can vote for um, in the TV Tonight Awards at present. Okay, so that's tvtonight.com.au. When does that voting close? Uh, that will close, I think it's the first week of January, and then I'll I'll put the winners up in early January, not long thereafter. Fantastic. All right, look, that's good. That that sort of brings us to an end of our first part of this um, two-part uh, legendary year in review marathon we, we're going through now. So that was the Australian series um, and some of the biggest stories of the year. Um, look out for the accompanying episode, which will be the international, and we'll also look at doggos. Thank you, David, our special guest, and thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Q. Thanks, guys. <laughs>